I think Canada could be a major global powerhouse in automotive design and automotive technology in the next 10 to 20 years and will leapfrog many other countries, including the United States. Hi, I'm Tim Penketh, founder and CEO of thefutureeconomy.ca. We feature the country's leaders and experts across a variety of key sectors uh, to get them to lay out their vision for Canada's future economy and what the calls to action are in terms of what needs to be done now to get us there and make that vision a reality. So today I'm speaking to Bill Newman. Bill's the Chief Industry Executive Advisor for Automotive and Manufacturing at SAP. He's a, a, an absolute veteran of the auto sector, and he's had a decades-long career uh, with companies like Northrop, Volkswagen, and obviously his current position at SAP. Bill's an American who's got an, a, a very healthy interest in Canada's auto sector, uh, and his perspectives really help us pinpoint where Canada stands now within the North American and global auto sector. Uh, throughout the interview, we speak about a few things. Uh, we speak about the future of Canada's auto industry, what he thinks it's going to look like. We also get him to lay out what he thinks we need to focus on in terms of EV innovation, the supply chain, production, and everything else that goes uh, into electrifying transportation. Most importantly, I ask Bill what needs to be done now and by who to really ensure that Canada's auto sector emerges as a winner in the, the future of this industry. Enjoy. Well, Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm really excited about the conversation. Um, I want to start with a few really quick icebreakers, uh, if you don't mind. You're in the car world, uh, so I just want to ask, what was your first ever car and fondest memory about it? Yeah, well, Tim, good to be with you today, and uh, hello to uh, to our listeners. So um, back in the day, um, we all aspired to get our drivers, our motor vehicle permit, our driver's license when we were 15, 16 years old, right? So the car that was available to me was a car that uh, my grandmother used to drive, a 1963 Volkswagen Beetle. It was an old six volt. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the antique uh, Beetles, and I actually did work for Volkswagen for a while and got to see the last one off the assembly line in Plebo, Mexico, which was really super cool. But um, you actually clean the air filter by pouring gasoline in it and rinsing it because <laughs> it was a metal-based uh, air filter. So, you know, there you go. It was just super uncomplicated. Uh, upgraded the car to 12 volts, put a cassette player in it, which was state of the art at the time. So I'm aging myself a little bit here. Uh, and it was great, you know, drove it around California while I through college, it was great. Um, I, I went to UCLA, so uh, a lot of urban parking. So that vehicle fit perfectly in the tiny spaces that were required. I could actually get my friends to pick up the bumpers and move it laterally into parking spots um, as needed. Of course. And, uh, and, and uh, yeah, so I sold the car actually when I graduated college, but it was a fun first ride. Awesome, awesome. Maybe, maybe you'll get another one soon uh, to, to relive the days. Indeed. I spent a, quite a bit of time in Mexico and um, they were just everywhere. The, the vochos, they, they, they would call them. Beautiful cars. Um, you spoke about your 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 ability to tinker and the fact that you installed uh, a cassette player back in the day. Um, let's speak about innovation. What's the big auto industry innovation that is yet to be widely implemented 
but that you are really excited about? Well, I think if you look ahead and, you know, particularly around, Tim, the topic of today's program where we talk about electrification, right? I think um, I'm really excited to see um, the uh, the 500-mile um, electric charge uh, range broken. I think it will. It might even in some of the, the newer models at the end of this year uh, going into 2024, I think that they'll actually start to show some real advances. You know, we're not really like Moore's Law, but it's going to start to tick up. They're going to get lighter, they're going to get more productive, and they're going to get more efficient in terms of carrying holding charges. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I think also, too, you know, with electrification comes the opportunity to reimagine what the interior of some of these vehicles might look like and what they might look like in terms of living spaces, particularly when we factor in semi-autonomy, which is a completely different conversation. But you've got robo taxis that are you know steering wheel free and are forward rear facing and um you know just really even for for operator driver enabled vehicles even with um, some level of uh, electrification and uh, semi-autonomy you can do some really cool things like mood lighting theater theater sound massage seats so there's everyone's getting super creative Seems like every auto show, Tim, we go to, there's somebody out with some cool new interior design. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that um, as well, just in terms of the future of what a vehicle might look like and feel like. It sounds like it's going to look and feel like a, a rolling living room. Well, it could, or 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 a spa, or, uh, or you know, <laughs> or a bed, you know, you, you just really don't know. A lot of people have different concept designs out there, but... Certainly luxury is key, and particularly as those electric vehicles stay at kind of a higher price point, um, you're going to see more of that as we start to drive into some of the lower price point segments. Of course, you'll see more functionality, you know, for the particularly for the family or the about town driver, uh, particularly. But it's, it's a really great time to be interior designer. I can't think of a more exciting time in the automotive space, not since when we went from the Model T, Model A to more of the sedan model uh, than we're seeing today. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing what comes out in the next uh, in the next auto shows over the next couple of years. It's going to be interesting. Let's let's jump right into it. You're uh, you're you're focused on the North American uh, auto space in particular. So let's start with that. Um, how would you describe the current state of the, the auto industry in North America? And if you can, in Canada in particular, uh, and especially the EV, EV space within that, um, how would you describe it right now? Well, it's definitely a time of great change. So just in general, we're starting to see volumes come back, maybe not to pre-pandemic levels, but for sure capacity is starting to, to be closer to pre-pandemic levels. I think the upside um, SARS volume forecast overall for North America might get close to 15 million um, with, with maybe on the upside in Canada, and this is in terms of sales, not production. So we can, we can dig a little bit into that because Canada is, of course, uh, based on the um, uh, USMCA, it's a very important market for the production of passenger vehicles as well as uh, heavy duty vehicles. But I think we're looking at somewhere around 150, maybe even pushing upwards if we get a good second half to 200,000 sales for the year based on some information that I've seen most recently from March, um, from March data. Electrification, of course, is the big thing, right? So Europe started, Europe started with some 2030, 2035 targets. Uh, California in, in, in the United States followed Canada as well. 
um, all focusing on 2035 uh, as the uh, as the end of new passenger vehicle sales that are not electrified. So that uh, that includes a lot of different designs. So kind of like the the little secret is is that at least in California you'll still be able to purchase a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. So for those listeners, there are lots of different ways to have an electrified vehicle. One of course is pure BEV where you've just got batteries, but another is is that you can actually use um, plug-in and regenerative braking to generate into uh, electricity to power the vehicle. Uh, those plug-in electric hybrids can operate fine with gas. They don't need to be plugged in. Um, so that's kind of, you know, if you look at some of, particularly some of the more Asian brands who operate in here in North America and in Canada, you know, that's that's actually a good thing for them because they've really made a significant investment um, in hybrid technology. It's very well proven, as I like to say to, um, to, to, to friends who ask, if, if you're looking to make a difference today with the with the environment by by a hybrid electric vehicle it's proven technology it runs very well um, you'll you'll actually immediately take emissions out of uh, out of the atmosphere so coming back around to it though like in canada 2035 you're going to have phase in targets that are going to begin probably in the next two three years just like there are in california and several other states that will follow so it, it is of regional importance for sure um, I think also that, uh, as I mentioned, Canada provides a, a, a very significant part of the uh, production of vehicles, uh, as well as the technology that's being developed to, to create those vehicles, right? So generally, most major brands uh, globally operate in Canada. Uh, I'm, I'm a Volkswagen alum, so we have a large facility in Ajax. Um, the, uh, the Toyota group companies uh, manufacture as well as sell significant amounts of, uh, of vehicles as does Ford, as does GM, um, and that's all. That's all good. Uh, we also have some very significant leasing companies that operate in Canada, and uh, Penske's made a very big push into Canada as well. So you know they're going to drive demand uh, for something for certain fleet and transportation vehicles. So I think that's all positive. Uh, if we look to specific electrification design in in Canada, um, you know you've got Electromechanica, uh, which is just a fascinating company with their solo. Uh, we interviewed, uh, one of my colleagues interviewed the CEO as part of a podcast series last year. Um, you know, they're they're very active in the market. They are building their production facility, at least initially, um, in Arizona to, uh, to tap the U.S. market as well. Uh, but there are a lot of things that can be done there. Um, we can get a little bit deeper into policy as well as the impact of commodities and talent, because um, there are certainly some advantages to operate make build uh, companies in uh, in Canada. But I think overall, you're going to see uh, for the light passenger vehicle side, a good healthy rebound and, and beginning to kind of feel like normal. Tim, most people I know are going to take their summer shutdowns in, in the US and Canada this year. They're going to go up to cabin country and they're, they're going to do some well-deserved fishing in uh, in July. And, uh, and it's going to be great for people uh, to see around the, the Canada Day holiday. And, uh, you know, in Detroit, we have a mutual celebration there with Windsor. So it's always a very exciting time. It'll be great for folks in the industry to be able to take some time off that they frankly haven't been able to do since before the pandemic. Definitely well-deserved. Um, and yeah, I, I look forward to that time on a personal note as well. Um, you said, and you rightly said, we are going to speak about policy. We'll speak about commodities and, and talent uh, as well, which is a, an absolutely crucial topic for sure. Um, 
before we get there, I want to speak about the the challenges that you see going forward for Canada and also the opportunities. But I want to start with those challenges first so that we end up on a positive note. So what are the main challenges that you see for Canada and its EV industry going forward uh, now, but also in the next two, three, five years? Well, I think overall, and, and, and this is this is this is true if you look across North America, but you know, in, in any market, uh, it's going to be the acquisition of skilled labor and um, and educated engineering talent, no doubt about it. Um, I was on a podcast most recently with uh, the MEMA Suppliers Organization. Uh, Pat Duramo from Martin Rea, a good Canadian company, um, you know, was was speaking specifically to the to the element of the talent shortage and how they've actually had to move certain operations both out of Canada and the United States down into Mexico to find uh, adequate uh, skilled labor, skilled workforce, and uh, and, and and educated talent. So. While that is a challenge in the near term, I believe that it's actually an opportunity for Canada, uh, the Canadian economy in the long term. Canada is very proactive on its immigration policy. Frankly, it's one of the leaders worldwide. Um, I think it's no surprise to listeners that um, as the current workforce begins to age, um, there's going to be a very, very large push, already is, uh, with Federal Canada to bringing in an um, Immigration as its number one labor source, uh, and, they're, and, and the in the country, frankly, is an exemplar in this area. Um, now, Canada's going to have to compete with all the other countries that are looking to offset this talent shortage. But if you if you look to your cousins south, or I guess in Detroit, it's north. We can talk about that. Um, friends in the West Coast look at me funny when I say that, but you know, it is what it is, right? <laughs> Um, we go we go south to go into Canada and Detroit, but if you look if you look to your cousins in the United States, the United States does not have a flight path to figure out the immigration problem. Uh, we need them. We need people. You look at all of the manufacturing environments, particularly in the south, as I call the either the Battery Beltway or Electrification uh, Valley. Who's going to do that work? You know, we do not. We in the United States do not have that figured out. Uh, we in Canada, though, I think have a very, very active program, and I think it's it's been uh, it's demonstrated some very strong results in years past. That's going to become even more important. I think just to tie off the benefits moving forward, if you look at Canada, um, mineral rich, uh, particularly with the current BEV designs for batteries, and uh, even if you look at you know employing a circular economy we need 300 plus more mines according to one federal reserve bank of chicago presentation i was just part of recently where is that going to happen right so uh you know if if canada can position itself as a mineral wealthy uh circular economy ecosystem that brings in the best and brightest of skilled workforce as well as educated engineering talent. I think Canada could be a major global powerhouse in automotive design and automotive technology in the next 10 to 20 years and will leapfrog many other countries, including the United States. Well, that brings me to my next point, which is regional competition. Um, obviously, we've got the United States, Canada, Mexico. The whole region is sometimes seen as a bit of a hole or a unit when it comes to auto production because everything is so interconnected and flows so seamlessly across those uh, those two borders. Um, what should Canada be focusing on from a 
sort of competitiveness angle uh, to, to, to play to those advantages and really differentiate itself from its regional competitors slash partners uh, to really claim uh, the, the biggest share it can of this growing industry. Well, I think you kind of touched on it, right? So um, obviously keeping the base that exists right now for regional manufacturing is going to be key. That will allow the development of talent, that will allow an onboarding of skilled workforce um, with all the things that we just talked about in terms of labor and immigration policy. Interestingly, um, Canada shares a quality with the United States insofar as is that, you know, the Vancouver area actually has some very exciting startup companies there, you know, Silicon, Silicon Mountains, um, to be able to leverage tech as well as in the northern greater Toronto area, GTA, you know, in the Markham area with some of the other high tech companies, those high tech companies as particularly as you look at, um, software driven vehicle design, those those areas are going to play a more significant role in the positioning of software and technologies actually in the vehicle as well as the design of the vehicle. So I do think that leveraging those those areas particularly, much like we've done with Silicon Valley as well as uh, other parts of the United States, um, will be really helpful when we look at how to extend the, the benefit of those experiences uh, for us in Canada. Um, I think also too, um, having a, uh, a very active uh, investment strategy at the federal level, as well as the provincial level, I think is very, very interesting. Um, I would point out that um, Quebec obviously has a very significant relationship with France. Um, and it's it's almost as if they're separate trading partners in this case. I know this just from the software world, having worked with some of the uh, other companies. Uh, I used to work with uh, Le Group DMR, which is now part of Fujitsu. Also had very significant dealings with Dassault. Um, very, very important for, for that collaboration. So there's a European uh, Union angle via France that could be of, of great importance as well um, as you develop some of those technology hubs. And I think you, you do see that in and around um, key universities like McGill in the, in, in the Quebec areas in that space in Montreal and others. Um, getting into specific um, shovels in the dirt projects, I think it's unclear what the policy is as it relates to manufacturing in particular to electrification. Um, it's it's easy to see the design and the headquarters being based in Canada. It's, it's more challenging to see, particularly as we move to a regional and a country-based uh, make to sell type of approach, which we're seeing coming out of the pandemic, that companies might be more apt, like in the case of Electromechanica, to build their first plant in, in in the United States, just as an example, or in Mexico uh, as a regional model, simply because of the available of talent or because of the significant um, sales marketplace that's that's afforded. So I do think that there's some work there that can be done. Um, nevertheless, there's certainly um, a good install base, again, as I mentioned, with very significant large companies already operating in the industry. And I think that um, uh, our, our policymakers just need to simply figure out what is the right combination of those policies to put in place um, so that those investments can be driven, uh, no pun intended, into more automotive space um, in combination with all of the other things that we've talked about. Well, before we shift gears, uh, pun intended, um, <laughs> you just mentioned policy and, and the importance of that. If you had to look at the policy and regulatory space 
uh, in Canada and how it's impacting the shape and the trajectory that our that our auto slash EV industry is taking. What would your observations be? And would you have any recommendations in terms of what the Canadian governments at both the federal and provincial levels should be thinking about going forward to, to be as competitive as possible? Well, for sure, staying the course on immigration and talent. Uh, again, Canada leading in that space, it's, it's, it's good for our economy. Um, it will be necessary for the economy moving forward. So double down on that. Seriously, put more chips on the table in that. Um, and again, I, I, I think the process and the system may feel may feel heavy from a bureaucracy perspective, may feel heavy from a bureaucracy perspective as it relates to you know just having to work through some of the policy, but, but it's very effective compared to other markets. So again, double down on immigration, be the leader in, in skilled workforce and in highly educated uh, engineering talent. Um, be able to come up with environmentally friendly, eco-balanced policies for, for mineral extraction. Look at ways to go deeper into that mineral technology as it relates to a circular economy. You know, if we're really serious about battery electric vehicles and battery plates, we're going to have to figure out how to remanufacture those, extract the minerals, shape those, you know, Create, create food from waste, to, to borrow the cradle-to-grave expression, that could be a significant play, um, both at an economic as well as a policy level. And, and I would also then finally say for, you know, the manufacturing space, you know, try to emulate, try to emulate that electrification um, focus that certain parts of the United States are operating, um, you know, we, we have less labor restrictions in the United States as, as you move into some of the, um, the Southern Belt states. Could there be some type of uh, economic enhancement or empowerment area that could uh, be developed to help incubate more production in Canada? And, and finally, if you needed to, to help uh, those phase-in targets, um, maybe there's something there for additional economic incentives for Canadian citizens to actually purchase an electric vehicle that's actually built in Canada. You know, just just you know, put it out there. I don't think that that would, you know, that might seem a little uh, that might seem a little affront in the United States. I don't. I think that's actually rather consistent uh, with policy and intent uh, with our Canadian brothers and sisters. So why not do that? And why not incentivize companies to actually you know build in Canada, whether that meant tax breaks or uh, other economic uh, uh, empowerment uh, initiatives. But I do think that the production aspect of it does need to be addressed. It seems to be um, seems to be a little uh, persistently lacking, but that's just that's the only missing piece that I see. And again, bringing all of those components together, I think the future could be very, very very, very lucrative and very bright and very rewarding for workers in the automotive space as it relates to the future of electric vehicles um, in, in Canada, both from a build and, and market sale. Well, one of the key factors to being successful on the build side is having a strong, robust uh, supply chain. Um, you spoke about the impacts that uh, COVID and the whole pandemic had on the industry, we saw what uh, those those impacts could mean for supply chains when there were shortages of semiconductors, excuse me, and we saw a lot of production slowdowns. 
what do you, uh, how do you assess the current state of supply chains in the industry, whether it's regionally or in Canada specifically? And what do you think has to be done uh, specifically in, in, in that angle, in that side of things to, to get things as strong and smooth as possible in the production side? Well, I think the good news is, is that we're not seeing parking lots of ships waiting outside the Vancouver Harbor waiting to come in. I mean, those thankfully, thankfully those days are done. And we've seen, you know, we saw the same thing in Long Beach, Jacksonville, Port of LA, Seattle. It's, it's just, it was, it was horrible. The market demand for chips on the consumer side has, has taken a bit of a dip in the last year. Um, and for listeners who might not be aware, first of all, you can't just take a chip out of uh, a, a, a mobile phone and put it into a car. They're completely different design. And the second point of that is, is that, you know, the supply chain for chips and semiconductors actually operates much, much differently than other components. These are three to five year contracts. You know, so think of it almost like commercial real estate. You know, if you were negotiating a lease, you have to look five years out. And that's kind of what you had to do. And we had to pivot super fast during the pandemic. And that just created this huge jolt that had to be rebalanced um, as people shifted and, and took away from a very, very small percentage of semiconductors that were allocated towards towards vehicle use and put them in consumer products so that you know people like you and I could you know have our laptops and have conversations like this online and you know have have mobile phones and things like that. So um, now that that's balancing out and now that the semiconductor and the chip capacity is more right fit for what current demand is, we don't see that whiplash effect in, in supply chain. And in fact, we're not seeing that whiplash effect very much at all across components. And further to that, um, you know, at least in the United States, there's policies to regionalize the onshore of manufacturing so that we can you know, protect the industrial base, protect technology, develop technology, and become less reliant on, on regions or places that we have to put uh, commodities, products, and, and uh, supply onto a ship or air freight at very high expense. Um, Canada is beginning to move into that direction as well, uh, largely with the global brands operating in, in country. Needs to do more there, honestly. Um, needs to do more there and develop that capacity. And that touches on the, the production side of the equation that we were mentioning in our last, uh, in our last uh, segment. So uh, I do believe that there's more there. I don't see that trend stopping. I actually think that trend, that make to region, make to market trend is going to persist. And I don't see that anybody's gonna, you know, shoot up flares to say, hey, we can save on factor cost by moving things to country ABC and region XYZ. I think I think that the pain is so familiar still from many industries, not just automotive and high tech, but across the board, that I think that that just just like the pendulum swung to outsourcing back in the 90s, I think you're going to see that the pendulum is going to swing very hard in terms of make to market through the balance of the decade and probably well into the next. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what impact that has on the future of the sector. Uh, that's going to be a uh, a tremendous shift. It'll be really interesting to watch. Um, Bill, you've you've peppered the conversation with some really strong calls to action for industry, for government, uh, for for labor. Um, I'd like to close up with uh, a, a, another opportunity to really zero in on what the key players need to do now uh, to really uh, improve and best position. Uh, Canada's auto sector going forward. 
Um, so if you had one single most important call to action for the Canadian government, uh, what would it be? What would you urge them to do? Well, I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to applaud the Canadian government and say, keep stay on course, do what you're doing with immigration policy, bring in the skilled workforce and the highly educated talent. You're doing the right thing. And, and you are you have a competitive advantage in the near term as you're doing that. The call to action, what you're not currently doing is come up with a manufacturing policy specific to particular industri industries. Bet on it. You'll win if you bet on it. Um, there's enough confusion in other Western markets for Canada to really emerge as, as a hub and a focus area of not only investment, but good product. We already know, we're already building great vehicles in Canada. We need to figure out how to do a better job to expand that portfolio. And then finally, if it makes sense, um, help the consumers adopt Canadian purchased electrified vehicles built, made and sold in Canada. Again, that might feel a little out of turn recommending such a hard policy in, in other markets. I think it's very consistent um, with, with what the, the federal government of Canada could and might do. Um, and I would, I would strongly recommend looking at different options in order to do so. Excellent. Very strong, very strong calls to action there. Um, if we were to pass to the industry, what do players within the space need to be focused on? What do they have to do now? Well, I think work with your work with your legislators, work with your uh, representatives. Um, again, take advantage of the talent uh, upside talent gap that you currently have. Um, try to make sure that plants and operations are not shifting um, to different parts of North America and frankly, to different uh, other parts of the world. Um, you know, bet on Canada, take advantage of some of the uh, the tech talent that, that exists in places like uh, the GTA, Vancouver, Montreal, um, and develop, develop that talent, bring that in. And, you know, much like uh, other STEM or STEAM, if you include art and design initiatives that we're seeing in, in many Western markets at the K through 12 level, you know, go deep into the education system to make sure that not only kids, but also their parents know building a vehicle isn't just, you know, operating a spot welder. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's a bit of a stigma against, you know, working in a greasy plant with a spot welder. No, that's not. I mean, you could eat off the floor of many of these clean room enabled electrified vehicle, you know, assemblies, and it's all state of the art technology. So whether you're a software designer, a mechanical engineer, um, uh, an electronics uh, programmer, there's great opportunity in this space. And again, really encourage um, maybe parents who are listening of school-age children to really reconsider what that might be because it will be a very lucrative um, career for your children in the future. Um, and also if you're a, a, an owner of a privately held supplier, um, really have that conversation, particularly with your adult age children now to make sure that you agree on how to transition the business if your adult children are interested and, and be open to what that business might look like moving forward. You know, the electrified world is very, very different, fewer mechanical parts. And our kids actually know better than us more, more often than not about, you know, what resonates in terms of how to shape things moving forward. 
so bet on Canada, bet on your kids, um, and uh, and you know count on the future. I like it. I like it. It's very positive. And then just to, to close out this sort of call to action section, I'll leave the floor open to you. Is there a stakeholder or, or stakeholder group that you think we haven't addressed that really should be brought in? I know you just brought in parents, which which is, is awesome. But is there anything else that we don't particularly think of? No, I, th I think, you know, we, we all work in a we all work in a global environment. Right. Um, so, you know, coming back to talent and immigration policy, I really think that there are probably um, different kinds of envoy missions that could be made to certain places to really develop deeper relationships uh, in terms of not only bringing in talent, but educating that talent. Um, maybe joint ventures with some of those, uh, those countries and those co companies operating in those countries, right? In terms of some type of um, you know, public-private partnership. Uh, it's gonna take everybody working together to figure out how to be able to to find all the right talent, find all the right um, minerals, build all the right remanufacturing and recycling to support an electrified green circular economy moving forward. It's it's not straightforward, and it doesn't look like you know doesn't look like your grandfather's vehicle. So you know we we really need to take fresh eyes on new problems and figure it out together. And, uh, and stay open-minded and creative in terms of how we want to solve those problems. Definitely. All, all hands on deck, for sure. Yeah. Well, Bill, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everything that you've, uh, you've dropped on us. It was really a, an interesting conversation. Tim, it was a pleasure. Look forward to doing it again soon in the near future. Take care. Hey, thanks for joining us. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bill as much as I did. Uh, his perspective on Canada's auto industry really helped open my eyes to the opportunities that we have ahead of us, and it, it just shows that it's ours to seize. I was especially compelled by his call to action for Canada to, to really continually improve our immigration programs to ensure that we, we have a steady flow of talent uh, pooling into the auto industry. So I want to ask you, do you agree with Bill's assessment that Canada can uh, really become a leader in the future of the auto industry worldwide? Leave a comment down below. Agree, disagree. Let's get that conversation started. And finally, if you want to stay up to date on everything concerning uh, Canada's future economy, you've got a few things to do. First, subscribe to this channel right now. Then go ahead and visit our website, thefutureeconomy.ca. You'll see more opinions from Canadian leaders. Uh, and experts, uh, again, across a variety of sectors. And if you want exclusive content featuring Q&As with our guests, you got to subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in the description below and you'll get a bi-weekly feed of amazing content from a, a amazing visionaries and, and doers and shapers uh, that are really uh, setting the agenda for Canada's future economy. Thanks so much for joining and uh, see you next time.